Well, hey, webcast listeners. I'm just going to plow through and pretend like it hasn't been months since we did this. Um, and we do have something special today. Uh, for the first time on the Amazing Spider webcast, we will have a guest. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phone him in right now. But hopefully he won't phone it in. You got it? Did you get that? Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Can you hear me? Yep. Great. I can hear you great. And now I'll say, okay, so on the phone, we've got my brother, Ian. All right. And uh, we're going to talk about The Amazing Spider-Man issue 20. Is that the same one that you just read? Uh, with the scorpion, right? Yes. Yep. I was, it, it's been a little while since I've done one of these, so, uh, you know, I wasn't totally sure. But yeah, I, I thought, uh, well, we kind of just go through this page by page. So uh, you can either start with the cover. I didn't have a whole lot to say about uh, the cover, but. I have a couple of things to say. Yeah. So. Go for it. All right. Right now or. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're on the air here. Yes. <laughs> um, I think, you know, one of the things, I think the first thing that jumps out to me is that this was 12 cents. Yeah. You know, um. And also, apparently, this is a much newer comic than I thought, because according to the the, the uh, version that I have, it's trademarked and copyrighted 2006. Yeah, this is a digital version. Marvel in 2006 took a bunch of their old-ass comics and put them on a CD-ROM. And so I bought those. They're all PDFs. They're all, like, protected PDFs, so you can't print them. Um but they, so they, you know, they did Spider-Man, Captain America, Avengers, Iron Man, Ghost Rider, X-Men, a bunch of their old shit. And they're just like, we'll just throw this on a, a CD-ROM because what could happen? And then, you know, not that long later, it's like, oh, the Internet, this is not good. Like they kind of figured that, you know, digital comics would never go anywhere, you know. And so they're like, yeah, we'll just throw in everything. And basically, how, how much do you think that CD-ROM cost? I can't imagine it was much at the time of the release. I, I would think maybe like 25 bucks. I think that's what they, some of them are more expensive because I think they're more rare, like maybe the Ghost Rider one or something, but I think you could still buy them for about 40. So I can't imagine, I guess it's possible when they were released, you know, like if you bought like, Encarta 10 years prior to that, it was like a hundred dollars or something. But, like now the challenge is having a like a computer that will have, have a CD-ROM drive in it. Yeah. Well, I think so. that's the thing. They probably at the time were like, well, these files are basically you have to have the CD in your computer. And it's the files are pretty big, too. Mm -hmm. So maybe they were like, well, what kind of maniac is going to have the storage for that? And then cut to 15 years later. And it's like even your simplest flash drive probably has enough. <laughs> enough I could like... I, you could put all of those CD-ROMs onto like one flash drive, put it in my pocket, still have space. Exactly. But at um, the same time, I'm sort of like, I mean, it's not like they were making a ton of money off these super old, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 20. It's like, how are people getting their hands on that? And it's all secondhand market anyway. So basically any format they could come up with was probably not a terrible choice. It's probably not a collector's item unless you get the hardcore Spider-Man but, you know, like the Spider-Man comics, I imagine, in a collector's market, you know, do pretty well. Like there's got to be people who are trying to collect runs of things. Oh, totally. 
compared to something like you said, like the Avengers or Ghost Rider, like people probably weren't, there wasn't a collector's market for those. No, not so much. I mean, yeah, um, it's like, I'm sure you can get a Ghost Rider number one with a high grade, fairly inexpensive at this point. And then after um, number one, I would be amazed if they cost more than a couple bucks. But one thing I think is also worth pointing out, and this is probably the larger discussion, because this is about the Scorpion. Mm-hmm. One of the things I like about his costume in this, or at least maybe this era, is it looks like a dude who just, like, you know, fashioned this costume himself. Yes. It looks you like know, a bodysuit with, you know, horizontal little black stripes and then boxer briefs. <laughs> like, it it does still have the sort of underwear over the pants strongman thing because it's a comic book. Yep. Um, he has kind of, he doesn't have quite have, like, the go-go boots going but he does have like really high boots he's got yeah it's sort of in that realm but not quite that very standard marvel uniform like one thing that's interesting about this era of spider-man is it does have and spoiler alert um at the end spider-man is sewing up his costume yeah and it sort of seems weird to me that spider-man was such a good seamstress yeah like that's probably his amazing skill it does make me wonder if there was a, you know, a mandate, an internal mandate at the time, because they're like, I mean, the Spider-Man costume's pretty awesome. Like, we did a great job on this. Right. So we don't want to, let's not go crazy on the villains, because they kind of have shitty costumes for the most part. So it makes me wonder mm-hmm. if they were like, look, you can't outshine the star here. Like, I think it's just, you know... the. The, the villain of the week is always someone who's going to be like, we're going to be in one issue. So like, we don't have to make the costume that good. That's a kind good of toss point. it away. Yeah. You if know? you have to do a new villain, like every week, you're like, eh, let's not, uh, you know, Steve Ditko's like, you know, it's awfully easy for me to color in a all green. I don't know. If <laughs> green the colors. Stripes. He's like, Steve Ditko apparently was paid by the color. Well, you know, if, <laughs> if he's got to spend, He's got to color in all this shit. He's probably like, ah, listen. See, illustrated by Steve Ditko. It doesn't have a separate colorist. So I'm going to assume it was him. Um, <laughs> and so it's, he's like, hey, you could do me a favor and make this guy one color. It also comes up in the letters section at the end, like how many books Steve Ditko was illustrating yeah. like, in a month. And so he's probably like, look, I got to color in a bunch of things. So I don't really want too many colors in my villains. Yeah. Then meanwhile, um, like Stan Lee does this little cover box, you know, or on the first page, it's like, uh, he's going to be, a, this is going to be an amazing, what does it say? He's definitely a candidate for the Super Villains Hall of Fame, you know, and Steve Ditko is like making the jack-off motion, like, oh, sure. <laughs> like Steve, you know, Stan Lee's job was to hype everything up like it was the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. You know? This one's going to stick for sure. This one's going to stick for sure. And like then Steve Ditko, you think that Stan Lee or someone at the Marvel, like Stan Lee would be writing it and imagining like the Scorpion looking amazing. And then he looks just kind of like, you know, a pretty decent Halloween costume. <laughs> and he's kind of pissed about it. He's like, you could have tried a little harder. He's like, Steve, baby. And then, but then Steve's like, "You think this is lazy? Wait till we get to the tarantula." Like, I have a hard time imagining what the more contemporary scorpion costume looks like, but it—I don't know if there's more colors in it. 
really. It's, it's usually not super colorful. I think the thing with the modern ones is they try and give him some kind of better headgear. Like what he's wearing now basically just looks like a balaclava or something. Um, with he, kind of a pig nose. <laughs> yeah. Like and they, they tried to have like, they gave him some teeth it looks like. Yeah. I feel like they had to give him a mouth and eyes. So they're like, he has to be able to express. Like, we're fucking annoyed that Spider-Man really can't express that much. But the nose is is a weird touch. Because I'm like, well, it's not like a scorpion has a signature nose. Yeah, like a scorpion. I mean, part of it is I think they could cheat a lot with a scorpion face. Because, like, scorpions, like, if you ask somebody what a scorpion's mouth looks like, you're like, well, it's kind of like an, is it like an ant? Yeah. You know, I don't look so I've never looked straight in because it's terrifying. Right. Like, usually you don't see a scorpion from the angle of like its mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but overall, like, you know, I think this is one of the this feels like looking at some of the covers from the era. It feels very typical in a way. Yeah. Weird New York City geography of where that sort of bends out into the ocean. But, you yeah. know, maybe that works. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that, you know, the backgrounds and stuff, you can see that, like, back in the day, they put a lot of work into that shit. So Steve Ditko was spending all of his time drawing cityscapes, and that's why he didn't have time to give the scorpion too many colors. Exactly. It's like, it's eh, like we could take it easy. Well, he's th- like, I gotta, I, I have to draw, like, five piers yeah. here, in a sense of, like, an industrial and a commercial center of New York. Well, and then you look at the Spider-Man costume, and he's like, oh, God. The less he could be wearing the costume, the better. He probably, you know, I don't know if he was still illustrating, but I think there's probably a lot of the illustrators loved the black costume era of Spider-Man. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, done. I can go to the, you know, It was a pretty happy good hour. costume, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, much easier. Mm-hmm. Just like, I, this, this would have taken me hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe we should get to the first page. Yeah. So my thing on the first page is basically that thing. You know, we predict the Scorpion's definitely a candidate for the Supervillains Hall of Fame. Which, first oh, of yeah. all, anyone who's a villain, I guess, is a candidate. But uh, what's your overall opinion? Scorpion, Supervillain Hall of Fame? Uh, Scorpion, to me, seems like almost a very typical Spider-Man villain. Yeah, You know, and part of it is to me as somebody who is a much, you know, it's weird that I'm on the Amazing Spider webcast as what I would say is a casual Spider-Man reader. Right. You know, I like Spider-Man just fine. I've liked every Spider-Man movie. I don't have the right consoles to play a video game, but I probably would. Um, I've never found a Spider-Man comics that I really, I think the only one I really didn't like that I've read recently, it's not a recent one, was like the sort of reboot of Maximum Carnage. Oh, sure. But I think that was like, to me as an enterprise, that was probably not, that was going to be doomed from the start in a certain way. Yeah. Um, But I I think of Scorpion as a very, one thing I would say about Spider-Man as maybe a critique is that his Spider-Man is way more interesting than most of the villains he encounters. Yeah, sure. Like, I think that if something suffers in Spider-Man is that a kind of lack of a really good, you know, I think the villains that work best are the ones where Peter Parker has a relationship to the villain, and the ones that don't really work for me are like the sort of random dude. Oh yeah, I mean, I've I've always said Spider-Man's best villain is J. Jonah Jameson. 
And that's really the thing is that J. Jonah Jameson is really the villain of the story. And to a large degree, he just sort of creates the scorpion as a weapon. Yeah. And then, you know, the problem of like giving your an intelligent sentient weapon is like, well, maybe it won't do what you want it to do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Oh, it's, this is a perfect example of a couple tropes, which is, you know, we'll get to, but the scientist who's like, what have I done? And then the sort of person who's, come up with a plan and then is like who would have ever thought that this plan could go any way other than how i'd hoped <laughs> it's like no like the scientist in j jonah jameson did not think about like well what happens after right you know he beats up spider-man like it's like well what, what happens then yeah you like know? where are we gonna stuff him in a trash compactor like just and I then mean, it's like we shake hands and he goes on his way and he's now a scorpion man We'll get to this later, but I think there might have been a way for J. Jonah Jameson to at least try to arrange a deal to maybe mitigate some of this damage. Sure. But we'll get there when we get to the contract part. But Yeah, that's, I think, my page... favorite part of the whole thing. Uh, yes. <laughs> I like that the first page is that splash action panel, right? Mm -hmm. Where he's, like, smashing a... He's smashing, like, a chimney with his tail. So you get the idea that he's super strong. Right. And Spider-Man's having kind of a hard time. And the bricks are uh, flying at the reader, kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a it's like, a cool action shot. And it's sort of like that's the thing where I'm like, you're I'm opening this comic and I'm like, all right, we're gonna have you know we're gonna have some fighting. And Do then, smash cut to uh, Peter coming home from work. Yeah. Okay. So if we go to the next page, I have a double page spread. I, I do mean, too. Now. You haven't read a lot of comics from this era. How much fucking text is in these books? It's like a lot, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, these take like a half hour to read. If you... That's... <laughs> There's nine panels on each page, and they're, you know, maybe 20 to 30% text. I think about how many, I mean, part of it is that I think a lot more modern or contemporary comics don't have as many panels. Yeah. You know, so like you can have a little bit more word economy because you can kind of let the, uh, the picture tell more of the story. Sure. Of what's going on. Like, you know, Peter's leaving work and there's a sort of skulking dude behind him. Like you could probably have told this like in one panel, right. maybe two. Yes. You know, in a more contemporary comic, but this is like a three panel thing. So Peter Parker's leaving work. Yeah. And his spider sense is going off. Yep. Because somebody is following him. Yeah. Right. Now, does, has the previous comics really gotten to like how sensitive the spider sense is? You know, at this era of Spider-Man, it's you can tell they're still figuring it out. So, like, you know, sometimes he seems to... It's like, do you remember uh, there's an era of Superman comics where it's like, basically, Superman has a new power every time he needs a new power to do something. Um, my my favorite that I remember is his super memory. It was like there was some kind of gizmo that was going to explode, and then they took it apart so you couldn't stop it from exploding. But he's like, I have a super memory, so I remembered what it looked like before they took it apart. That's got to be one of those like superpowers that like if they kept it in long enough, it would backfire on him so fast. He's like because it would be like he would remember every time Lois slighted him as Clark Kent. <laughs> and, it would like, destroy his relationship. 
but it would be okay because he has super self-esteem. That's true. So yeah, like... so like Spider-Man's a little like that still. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as he's trying to elude this guy, he makes a bat out of web that he kind of launches past this guy to startle him and distract him so he can, you know, so Spider-Man can go home and become Peter Parker without being spotted. And I that... think it's that he's he's Peter Parker and then he's going to go out and do, be Spider-Man. Yeah. Or he's going to use Spider-Man to like um follow this guy. Right. He's going to follow the guy as Spider-Man. Um Well, and then he's so, yeah. he's going home and the guy's right there so he's like I'll make this bat out of web to distract him. You know, and sends a bat. But that's like an example of something that it's like, I don't think modern Spider-Man is like making a bat out of spider web. It's also maybe a strange era of comics where like we get we get like three panels of him walking home. Yeah. But we get like one panel of the web coming out of the web shooter as like a little blob. Yeah. And then it turns into a bat. Yeah, it's a blob, a tiny blob, and then we have a fully formed, pretty good-looking bat flying like, through the air. <laughs> like, I kind of, you know, I think a more contemporary version would probably have him, like, folding it into a bat or, like, into a plane or something. Yeah, something. Or, you know, he would just do something less crazy. I mean, how how am I going to distract this guy? He'd be like, I don't know. I'll just fucking swing around a city block. He's not going to be able to follow me. And then I'll go home. I mean, it seems also kind of like uh, maybe the guy, you know, they also could just moved on with the story a little bit to be like, this guy was following me. And then, you know, he goes away. Yeah. Like he just goes home instead of having this weird contrivance of the bat. Exactly. Yep. Um, but then we get him uh, jumping in the window after he distracts the man who's following him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got to hide from Aunt May while he's still still wearing his gloves. Yeah, he's still got his glove on, so he's got his hand behind his back so she doesn't he's find got, out his secret. He's got one hand with the glove on, and then like it looks like his other hand is in front of him, so he had enough time to take off one glove. Yeah, so. but there's no time to take off another glove. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, you know, Aunt May is taking a risk busting in on a teenage boy like this. Like, is he still a teenager? I guess he's still a teenager at this point. Um, I guess he'd be 19 or 20. Yeah, because, like, Flash Thompson is there, and they're still in high school. So well, he's, I like... I think they're in college now. They're in college? I think so. I thought he was... I, yeah, I didn't think he was in, like, high school anymore, because he's... Yeah. That's one of the um, sort of incredible facts about Spider-Man, is I think everybody thinks of Spider-Man as being a high school superhero. But he, he was out of high school pretty quick. I think that the part of it is that's just sort of that origin point of like a lot of people. If they pick up a Spider-Man comic, they probably pick up like a contemporary era one where he's like an adult. Yeah. And if, whenever it gets rebooted, it always gets rebooted. Like some of the reboots tend to put him back in high school. Yeah. Um, because I think a lot of if you're picking up Spider-Man number one, like he's in high school. Yeah, it's just interesting um, to me that that's become sort of an essential aspect of the character, even though. The character has was spent, you know, five percent of his comics time in high school. <laughs> it's still different enough in that Spider-Man at this point was like not an adult or like not a full-fledged adult in the yeah. way that like most superheroes, like Batman or Superman or Captain America of this era, were adults. Right. Right. You know, 
and like Spider-Man is like Peter Parker's like legally an adult. Yeah. Um, but we get to the next page after Aunt May and then, um, he's sort of plotting a lot. So it's a lot of all that text. Yeah. Oh, I did want to, there was a hilarious balloon on the preceding page that says it's no trick to follow someone silently when you've got the power of a thousand spiders, which first of all, I was like a thousand. But secondly, I was like, why would the the power of a thousand spiders make you quieter? (laughs) Like a thousand times, like, 8,000 tiny little legs might make a lot of noise. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like, so you're a thousand times sneakier? Is that what you're, this is, this didn't work for me, but I, anyway, you're, yeah, so this is a lot of like, okay, this guy's following me, that's annoying. Oh, Betty usually gets to work early, and then we get J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, yes, we got some good artwork here of J. Jonah Jameson as an evil man. He's red-faced, he's making an evil grimace. Some good, some good face work here as he's sort of reminding us that he hates Spider-Man a lot and then reads in some kind, I don't know, some kind of a report that he got, which is basically some egghead is making mutants. And then he's like, maybe I could use a mutant to kill Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I could use a mutant to kill, to kill Spider-Man, right? Yeah. And like, hey. I think that one of the things that's weird about J. Jonah Jameson living, because this is sort of still in the era where like Marvel superheroes were in the everyday world. Right. Yes. But he seems really dismissive of this idea of like someone's creating like um, artificial mutations in animals. I guess that's part of why he's not impressed. You know, like if you live in a world with Thor, like mutations in animals, you, you live in a world with mutants in it. Yeah. So you're like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I it's one of the sort of weird things about the Marvel Universe, I guess, which is like, if you did live in a universe where it's possible you could see, you know, you saw Galactus come and all this crazy shit, and then, uh, I don't know, something like a, a Jubilee mutant, you're sort of like, mm-hmm. ooh, and then, but then I, I think, yeah, I think I'd be like, eh, eh. <laughs> You could probably brush by that and be like, huh, neat. But like, he's mad about like this person trying to um, get the story in the paper. Yes, right. He's like, who cares about this stupid science crap? And then he's like, wait a minute, maybe I care about this science crap. Also that the editors are showing him the proofs of like a story that's about to go in the paper. It seems like that's kind of the job, right? I don't know that much about being, he's a, publisher or the editor-in-chief like i don't know exactly what his job is he's the boss publisher yeah so it seems kind of like it would be good to have the i mean the proofs maybe don't come across the desk but like seems kind of like if you're the edit if you're the publisher maybe you would take a look like just to see like what it is (laughs) i guess i think this is part of what this is part of the j jonah jameson charm which he's like oh who cares about that science crap and then he's like Oh, wait a minute. That could be useful to me personally. Give me that back. I also think J. Jonah Jameson is the type of person who demands every proof cross his desk and yes. then like is mad that every proof crosses his desk. Yeah. And then, you know, he's bored by half the stuff. And then he's like, where did we get these writers? Let's get rid of these guys. That and it, it sort of seems like one of J. Jonah Jameson's characters. I often think wonder if J. Jonah Jameson is like a villain, you know? 
I think he, what he is is he's just a really bad boss at times. <laughs> he's just kind like of he a, a jerk. <laughs> he has occasional glimmers of like you know being nice to Peter Parker in more contemporary versions. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, and I think he kind of does. You know, in later things, he does like care about his son. You know, like he cares about people. Um, but I think he's like just a really kind of bad boss. And that's really what makes him work as a sort of antagonist is like, he's just, he's got a lot of power and he's bad. He's kind of a jerk. Yeah. I mean, and I think I, I would think this is relatable because I feel like, uh, you know, when you're a teen and you have a job and you just hate your fucking boss, even though later you look back and you're like, that old man was probably 22 years old and didn't know what the fuck he was doing either. Um, but so to have a boss that you think is shitty and doesn't know what the hell he's doing, you're like, I can relate to that. And, you know, it's interesting for him as like a newspaper man, right? Part of where it seems, you know, the thing with him is that he believes Spider-Man to be a menace, right? Uh. And he doesn't really want to look at the possibility that maybe, you know, Spider-Man is not such a menace. You know, like he is in this era, like he's not an objective. He's not a journalist, but he's not like an objective observer of Spider-Man. He is. He he knows what he wants to print. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe it's a prescient look at the present, which is like maybe people have been doing this all along. (laughs) Right. That he was just going to ignore all the evidence. And if he didn't, if there was all the stories were saying Spider-Man was a pretty decent person, he's like, well, I'll just make a story. I'll make up my own news. Right, right. Well, if there's no actual story that proves this, I will make one. I will create one. And that's what he's going to do with this um, artificial mutation. Yes. Okay, so then we have Mac Gargan. uh, Green suit, purple. What do you call that kind of hat? It's not like a fedora, but like a straw hat. (laughs) Like a trilby or something. I mean, it's... I think it's supposed to indicate that like he's an older man, right? Cause this is like, you know, none of the younger men are wearing hats, but like J Jonah Jameson, like when they leave later on, like he puts on a hat. Yeah. Um, kind of like a symbol of like slightly older man detective, you know, in a way. Sure. And kind of like scummy. Yeah. Scumbag is what comes to my mind. Cause he's just, He's basically like, whatever you say, boss, you know, I'll whatever. I don't care. Um, like he's a, he's a snoop. You know, he's like trying to he, he's going he's following Peter Parker around for money. Yes. So then the Jonah Jameson and Matt Gargan, you know, Jameson's like, I got a great idea. Gargan's like, cool, as long as you pay me. And they go to the mutant science guy's lab, <laughs> which that's where they're that's where they, they sort of run off to the sort of. Quick bits in here. I like that originally J. Jonah Jameson was paying Mac Gargan to figure out how Peter Parker was getting all those good pictures. Right. Which I kind of gather that J. Jonah Jameson was not paying Peter Parker a whole lot. No. But this also fits in the idea of like J. Jonah Jameson is kind of like just an asshole bad boss. Yeah. Because he was going to like spend a whole lot of money to not pay Peter Parker instead of just paying Peter Parker. Right. Right, he's going to spend, you know, whatever, a couple thousand bucks to figure out his secret in hopes that he can replicate it perhaps slightly cheaper than <laughs> however it was happening. 
Well, so they get to this. This is my favorite, perhaps, panel in the whole comic. Because they get to this lab and this scientist explains how he's uh, basically made a fish that could breathe in the air. So it's like sitting on a branch and a, a rat that can breathe underwater. So it's just kind of in a tank. And you're just like, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> what it's is like happening? He's done, he's done something here genetically that's like impressive. For no really good purpose. Yeah, impressive like, uh, and worthless. <laughs> totally worthless. In this particular case, also completely <clears throat> harmless, except maybe to the fish or to the rat. Well, and just it's kind of like innocuous and horrifying because you see this rat in a tank, you see a fish on the land, and it's just like cats and dogs sleeping together, you know, personified here. I mean, I just imagine being, I don't know who his boss is. Or, you know, his, uh, he's a research scientist, so maybe he's at a university. Just whoever's in charge of this coming into his lab and being like, okay. <laughs> like, people show, I mean, people can just show up to his lab. So I think he's, like, just, I mean, I wonder if he's, like, a person who just maybe is doing this in his apartment. Uh, maybe. You know? Well, and then, like, yeah. Because if you're doing this at a university, you have to go through, like, a whole bunch of institutional review boards. Right. And so there's a bunch of people who are going to be like, I want, you know, if he's like, I want to make a fish that breathes outside and a rat that breathes, you know, that, that, that breathes water. Yeah. They'd be like, uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess that sounds fine, but, uh, we have some follow up questions (laughs) like, um, so that, well, he does just say later on that he is a research scientist. This is my other favorite part, which is, you know, so Jameson kind of propositions him. He's like, I'll do a special project for me. If it works, I'll pay you $10,000. And which, by the way, I looked up and that's about $800,000 today. Um, So that's a lot of money. Like, so Jameson is like, is flush. And then the scientist says, I'm a research scientist. I don't accept private jobs for pay. And yet... With $10,000, I could be at new equipment and blah, blah, blah. I'm not in a position to refuse. So I'm like, what's with this preamble? He's like, that's not how it works, Jameson. Except, wait a minute. Yes, it does. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> I, I think it's previewing the idea that the scientist is not like, he's not the villain here, right? Like, he's basically a reasonable person. It's a, it is a very Spider-Man thing of like, a lot of people do a lot of stuff for money. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that is also very true about a lot of Spider-Man villains is that for a long time, what they tend to do is they tend not to be like the people who are like, I'm going to blow up earth. Right. Um, they tend to be the people who are like, I need money for a thing sure. or I just want money. And yeah. that is what makes them more grounded, but also in some ways less memorable. Yeah. Like their motivation is like, I need money. Right. And the scientist is basically like a, well, you know, I'm bending my normal code or rule, not code really, but like my normal practice. Yeah. Like I, I don't do this for money, but I'm willing to do this for money. Like it's not why I do it, but sure. You know, I'll take this on for for I'll He's not just doing it for money, he's doing it for a shitload of money. Yeah. Well, and I yeah, exactly. And he rationalizes it pretty quick to be like, well, yes. I can in do one more panel, science. he goes from, uh, no, that's not how this works to, but what if it did? And then, 
what what also is funny about it to me is so he he's like, all right, I'll do it before he hears what the project is. Then it's like, uh, make a literal monster. And he's not, there's no point then when he's like, mm, I don't know. He's just like, I can't guarantee the results. <laughs> Which is a very uh, light way of saying like, this guy might be dead in right. 10 minutes. Like, I don't know. His heart might explode. It's sort of weird where James Jonah Jameson is going to give him $10,000. That $800,000 you said equivalent. Yeah. And, um, not have very many stipulations on it, you know, like not have very much going for it. Like just here's, you know, here's $800,000. Well, that's, yeah. And that's, what's also funny to me about, okay, there's a fish that can breathe air and a rat that can breathe water. And then he's like, I'll give you $800,000 to make something that can beat Spider-Man. And this guy's not like, so do you want like a guy who can breathe underwater or, (laughs) You know, he's gone he's gone from these very minor alterations to an animal to imbuing a man with the powers of an animal. <laughs> it seems kind of like going back, it's hard not to look at this fish that's clinging to a branch. <laughs> like one of the things that's weird is like if the fish is out of the water, like it's not dying, but it's probably like as freaked out as a fish can be. Yeah. Because it has this profound sense of like, I'm not supposed to be here. Well, also, its body is completely useless out of the water. I mean, right. it, it can survive, but, like, what's it going to do? Flop around? It seems to be I clinging mean... to that branch pretty well. So. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> somehow. But we go to this guy, and he's basically what he made is he's made some kind of what looks like a... He's got, like, a pint. Oh, yeah, he's, Scorpion's he's... drinking a pint glass of serum. Yeah, he's he's got a serum. <laughs> Then he holds things that make something go through some kind of electricity or something. Um, a gizmo. He holds on to a gizmo. <laughs> I think he's what it looks like is he's trying to like lift something, right? Or he's pushing something. I don't really know what he's doing. Like he's being zapped with something. Yeah, I think he's just getting zapped. Mm-hmm. He's holding like two bars. And then uh, he looks like he's on the peck deck and he's holding two bars and they're shooting power into him. Yeah, so it's kind of unclear exactly what they're testing here. They're they're testing him with the science. Yeah, they're doing science um, on him. And uh, then they build the scorpion mechanical tail. Yeah, which also, this is a classic Marvel thing. If you're a scientist who knows how to do genetic engineering, let's say, you also know how to make a mind control limb out of robotics. You can make like a working mind control. Yeah, like you can work, you can make a robotic tail. Yeah. Right. That responds to people's thoughts. Yeah, because in the Marvel Universe, if you know science, you know all of science. Also, the kind of thing that it responds to a part of the brain that doesn't actually exist. Like, I don't have a part of my brain that controls a tail. Well, you're not a scorpion, man. Sure. So I guess that must be what is altered in the brain is like you'd have a thing to um, control the tail. Exactly. Like Dr. Octopus. Right. Some kind of mind meld. There's a lot of Spider-Man villains that seem to have like a really strong relationship to whatever device they built. Like... The tail here, uh, Doc Ock's arms, the goblin glider. The vulture suit. The vulture suit. Lest we forget the wonderful stilt man. 
It was stilt. Yes. That seems to be another theme in Spider-Man villains is like a strong relationship to some type of technology, either built by a scientist or just built by like a dude in a basement. Yes. Right. Yeah. Tinkerer. Mm-hmm. It's like most tinkerers in our era are like, oh, maybe I could build like a book bookshelf or a guitar out of a cigar box. And but in the Spider-Man comics, it's like maybe I could make a giant pair of indestructible stilts. And so then I shoot up into the sky, take a single step, and I've crossed the entire city. <laughs> Tinkerers today is like, well, I made a, you know, I made a little block where I can put my knives into it. Or yeah. like, I made an app that sorts my cat pictures by how many times I click on them. Yeah. You yep. know, the important work. So he's, um, now he's the scorpion. He mm-hmm. can crush a block. He fucks up some shit with his tail. And, you know, the science guy is like, oh, make sure you, you're prepared and tested before you go out into the world. And Scorpion's like, oh, fuck off. And Jameson's like, you listen to him now. <laughs> then we then we cut to some, you know, Peter and Betty talking. This This whole interlude of him and Betty going to the airport and whatever is, like, completely worthless. Totally unnecessary. This feels like it's the kind of thing that they wanted to stretch over like several comics. And it's sort of a, it grounds Peter in some kind of reality in a way. Yeah. Um, But in this particular issue, it feels like they just wanted to remind people that like Peter's got to compete with Ned Leeds for this girl. Yep. Yeah. Like as much as, yeah, as much as you said, like it's not a high, like he's not in high school. He still has kind of high school problems. Oh, well, it's very soap opera-y in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, girls and stuff like that. But anyway, we go we go through that. And oh, also, um, I like in the lab because Jameson halfway through is like, look, spare me the explanations just so long as it smashes Spider-Man. He's already bored. Like he's already, <laughs> <laughs> he made a scorpion man and he's already like, hey, look, Egghead, I don't care about this shit like. Just as long as it works, you don't. You don't have to give me the dog and pony show here. It it's a little bit of it's rare textual restraint from Stan Lee because he's like, I don't want to have to explain how it works. Yeah. So then Spider Man swings over to Jameson's office to kind of figure out what's going on with Matt Gargan, and then they have a, a worthless dialogue, and then he runs into the Scorpion. And it's fighting time. Yep. There's a bunch of punching and fighting. Now, this also follows the formula of these early Spider-Man books, which is that um, they basically introduce the villain. They have a fight where Spider-Man's defeated. Then they have a later fight where Spider-Man figures out a way to win. Um, Right. So this definitely follows that to a T. And what's great about it, though, is J. Jonah Jameson gets to watch this. Now... Part of what uh, cracks me up in this fight is, so Spider-Man, of course, webs up the scorpion. And then the scorpion says, I just remembered something, webhead. Scorpions have powerful pinchers, which they use, or pincers, which they use at will. And since I have a scorpion's powers, and then he basically makes his fingers like little scissors and cuts the webbing. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, Spider-Man has spider powers, but he doesn't have like every spider ability it's sort of like well i mean he does have the stealth of a thousand spiders but he doesn't lay know? eggs or something i mean but i mean it's sort of weird because like it's not as if it makes his hands well maybe it makes his hands sharp 
you know, that's maybe the idea that they're going for here. I guess, but um, it's just weird. He's like, I just remembered that this happens. <laughs> As one sc- does when you turn into a scorpion man. Now, living in Arizona, I've actually encountered scorpions before. Uh-huh. And their pincers aren't actually sharp. Are they like a lobster claw, like a crushing? Yeah, like they're more like for crushing and grabbing than they are for like snipping like scissors. Well, that's kind of what I would have thought, I guess. I mean, I'm like, not an expert, but <laughs> like the idea is you're so, like the scorpion would hold something so it can sting it with its tail. You yeah, know? right. Or like it uses the sort of, you know, it uses those to sort of grapple rather than like to try to, you know, cut. Yes. Because, like, imagine you're trying to eat something and you just, like, pick it up and it just cuts in half in your hands. Right, your Edward Scissor hands, basically. Right. That, you know, but I think in these two pages, this is where the sort of um, two pages at a time layout actually works really well because you need J. Jonah Jameson watching the fight to get the emotional sense of what's going on. Yes. Yeah, the two page spread here is kind of amazing because in the first one, he's like making fists, like, go get them. Then in the mm-hmm. next one, he looks concerned. And in the last one, he looks like he's got a big shit-eating grin going on. And you're like, okay, I can kind of see how the fight's going based on his reaction to it. And he's like, um, I mean, well, so he spent, you said $800,000. So he spent like $1.6 million on this scheme. <laughs> yeah. And he's watching like $1.6 million because he had to pay the Scorpion $10,000 as well. This is like the ultimate football bet. In a way. Right. It's like, you know, he's got a lot of skin in this game. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, given how much he spent, right, this is where I think the contract would have been useful. Like, it seems kind of useful to say, like, you get a third of the money for doing it, a third of the money if you beat Spider-Man, and then, like, a third of the money if you don't do any more crimes for a while. Right? Yeah, that, that he, who could have predicted I do. Before mm-hmm. we get there, there's one of my favorite lines in here is, don't you know that a spider can't ever beat a scorpion? And I just, I read that and I was like, I mean, I guess if someone ha- asked me to predict who would win in a fight, a spider or a scorpion, I think I'd go scorpion. But he's talking about that like that is common knowledge amongst Manhattanites that like a scorpion will always defeat a spider. You know, like it's a saying almost. Oh, we all know a scorpion always beats a spider. I try to think because Arizona is a place where a scorpion and a spider of some kind would encounter each other. Yeah. And it's like a tarantula and a scorpion would encounter each other. Right. Um, so I think a, a scorpion would usually win. Right. Um. But that's not something that would happen very much in Manhattan, just because there's not very many scorpions there. Well, nor would it, you know, in this era, it's not like something everyone's like, oh, I saw on YouTube or something, right? I mean, unless you saw one documentary, it's not, this is not common knowledge. This is not like, you know, the spider traps the fly or something like that. I think it's also the kind of thing, on the other hand, you could just say in a comic and no one would fact check you on. Yeah, of course. You know, like, no one would fact-check you on it, so it maybe, on the other hand, like, maybe Stan Lee didn't know that either. Yeah, and he's just like, well, if you say it confidently enough, everyone will go with you. Mm-hmm. So then we cut back to the scientist who's like, oh, shit, it turns out the scorpion's power than more powerful than I thought. Oh, shit, 
as he gets more powerful, he becomes more like a scorpion. Oh shit! I need to I need to throw this bottle of potion at him and turn him away from being the scorpion immediately, and goes running out of the lab with a giant the, flask full of goo. This is the only set of panels where I was a little <laughs> confused uh, because, like, he's got some weird. Uh, there's these weird red lines all over the place. Oh yeah, these that are supposed to be something? like tubes to things, yeah. and I'm like. It seems really busy, and I don't know exactly what this is. Like, it feels like it should be something that's very important. Well, the way the um, tubes are drawn, too, like in the first panel, he's behind the tubes, but then his word bubbles are in front of the tubes, so it's like an optical illusion, which I guess, if you want to get real deep into comics, a word balloon is necessarily an optical illusion. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just kind of strange. And it's sort of like the word bubbles are in front, and then in the second panel, they're kind of coming through the middle. Yeah. But it's sort of like he's got tubes over his head and all around him, and I get the idea of, like, I get it, he's a scientist in a lab, but, like, if those tubes weren't there, I would understand that he was in a lab. Right. So it would have made perfect sense to me. Yes. But it's a great scene. It's it reminds me of the that Simpsons when the guy is like on the illegal offshore bank and then he's like, oh crap. I shouldn't have said that, you know, this. Oh, crap. I definitely shouldn't have said this. And he's Oh, crap. I definitely shouldn't have said, like, there's a whole bunch of series where basically, like, the scientist realizes that, like, this whole thing is going to unwind. Yes. This is also why institutional review boards are important, because, like, <laughs> a fish... No, you can't or, make a, a scorpion man. So, like, how can you tell if a fish has gone crazy? You know, you just really can't. That's true. Yeah, like how do you rat, know if a fish a, is insane? Right. Like, <laughs> you can't really drive a fish insane. But, like, that's part of why you have to get, like, go through a little more scrutiny for a human. <laughs> yeah. This makes me really badly want to, like, uh, you know, somehow get to an institutional review board and then put a project proposal, like, make Scorpion Man. <laughs> I mean... One of a, like a sort of person I've encountered, right? And it's not going to really reveal too much of what their research found. So I'm not going to worry about it too much. But he had to put into the institutional review board uh, because he was testing something related to how pacemakers functioned. Uh And so what he was going to do is he was going to basically, part of what they had to do is they put people on the vomit comet. You know, that plane that like simulates zero gravity. Uh Uh-huh. And he was going to basically have to go through the institutional review board because he was, they were going to strap people upright in the vomit comet mm-hmm. for to see how their blood pressure worked. Uh-huh. And so basically they had to list all of the potential risks of what could happen. <laughs> well, see, it would have been nice if this guy had just done that step on his own. What are the potential risks of making a scorpion man? <laughs> That is something that in my institutional review board training is true, that if you're a private company, you don't have to do any of that. Yeah. So maybe he's like, oh, no. So anyway, he does his oh, craps (laughs) and then goes running out. Um, Mm -hmm. Spider-Man gets thoroughly housed by Scorpion. Thrown through a water tank. Yes. And then Scorpion. Empty water tank. Yeah, yeah, and then Scorpion's like, all right, that was awesome. Now I'm going to go rob an armored car. And this is when J. Jonah Jameson says, literally says, oh, no, I never expected that. 
<laughs> oh, who could have predicted that this could go wrong in some way? <laughs> it does seem like there's be a bit of insurance to be like, I need you to go disappear. Like you beat up Spider-Man and then you like run away for a while. Yeah. Like, and then Scorpion time is over. Me. Right. Or be like, you got to leave New York. Yeah. Go to Philadelphia. Right. Like go cool your heels for a little bit. And then I'll send you the rest of the money. So that way he's got like some incentive to be like, well, all I got to do is leave. Yeah, right. You know, leave and sort of lay low for a little while. And then I'll, you know, go do whatever it is I'm going to do. That would have been a much smarter. There's a lot of smarter contract options for J. Jonah Jameson if he still wanted to go through with this plan. But Scorpion is like Robin in armored car. He beats up some cops. Exactly. Yep. And so then he he makes off with some gems or something that some grandpas want. And then the scientist catches up and he's like, oh, thank heavens I found you here. Take this serum so you don't, uh, you know, keep being the scorpion. And the scorpion's basically like, "Uh, go fuck yourself and starts climbing up a building. (laughs) He's got a super, you know, nice and probably expensive science flask. And he looks like he just put some aluminum foil on the top of it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. He's got like a huge Erlenmeyer flask. Um, mm-hmm. And he's so then the scientist, to his credit, starts climbing up the building to try and, uh, you know, get the scorpion, I guess, to drink this stuff. I think he has to drink it. Um, so he starts climbing after him. And so then he <laughs> then he starts falling off the building and in a Hail Mary play, just throws the bottle at him. I guess maybe if it smashes on him, that'll work too. Um, but then he's definitely dead. The scientist falls off the building, and Spidey's like, I'm too late to help that poor fella who fell, but at least I can grab the scorpion. And in the lower right corner of that panel where he's saying that, you see a little circle of people gathered around looking at the ground where we can assume there's a dead scientist laying there. I mean, it's just a scientist who like climbed up a building, threw a bottle at some at a scorpion man climbing the building, which maybe the New Yorkers are probably used to to some degree by now. I guess. And like eh, it's Tuesday, you know, this is a thing that happens in the Marvel cinema or the Marvel comic book, uh, New York. I just feel like okay, I see a, a guy do that, fall off, hit the ground. Um, when we're all standing around, how close? I mean, give him a little berth. Right? You don't have to be right up next to the dead body. I mean, depending on the version, I'm not exactly sure what a dead body would look like, you know, if it fell 30 feet. But there also might be some splatter. Yeah. You know, like, maybe you don't want to stand in the splatter. Yes. So then Scorpion has basically gone crazy, and now he's full on, he's gone full Scorpion. Mm -hmm. And then we get J. Jonah Jameson's oh craps, because he's like, the scorpion robbed a jewelry store. The police are combing the city looking for him. Uh, this is all my fault. I'm the one to blame. If there wasn't for me, there would be no scorpion. Which, you know, in some cases when people say things like that, I'm like, you're being too hard on yourself. And in this case, I'm like, no, that's 100% true. <laughs> like, J. Jonah Jameson thinks Spider-Man is a menace. And so he sent Scorpion to beat up Spider-Man. Yeah. But J. Jonah Jameson is having his moment of realization where he created a menace that he he wants to make Spider-Man look like a menace. Right. But he actually created something that is a menace. Right. Possibly worse. 
<laughs> even trying to fabricate a story, he made the real thing come true. Well, and even if he hates Spider-Man and thinks that Spider-Man is doing wrong, he's like, oh, maybe the way to solve this was not by making something worse. I just feel like there's a, a you know, four panel comic, a Spider-Man comic to be written, which is like J. Jonah Jameson pays someone to make a dirty bomb. And then he launches it on the city. And then as like a wave of destruction is rolling towards him, he's like, oh, right. <laughs> that if J. Jonah Jameson has kind of a character flaw, which is important for every villain, is that he doesn't think anything through. Yeah, he needs when to it, do the comic book villain thing, which is, okay, you make the scorpion, but then you tell the doctor, you slip him an extra 5K and be like, put a bomb in his brain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does seem maybe like J. Jonah Jameson's like long-term planning is very focused on like putting out a newspaper every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like he only has to think like at 24 hours at a time. That's true. Way. And, you know, and so, like, long-term thinking is just not what he does. He doesn't really care about, like, what's happening, you know, three or four days from now. He's yeah. got, like, I got to put this paper today. Yeah. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's, like, sort of how and how the comics work, you know, where it's, like, a one-shot and then we're done. So then, basically, it's, like, the comics have the same sort of feel to them, right? Where it's, like, there's no tomorrow. So let's just, let's make a scorpion man. And if someone said what are you going to do with the Scorpion Man tomorrow? He'd be like, Ugh, God. All what right. if J. Jonah Jameson is basically every comics publisher? Like, these are all shots at their boss. <laughs> and they're just like, look, I'm doing whatever I can to desperately finish this in time. Right. But then they're like, no, you're unleashing a monster. Now we have all this, like, clone saga shit to deal with. We have all these continuity problems. It's like, look, maybe if you let me, like, plan this out a little bit more. Yeah. If if I wasn't drawing five or six books at a time, I could have more than two colors. Exactly. So then the Scorpion and Spider-Man fight in the Daily Bugle office where Betty is, and she's wearing her Santa outfit, it looks like. She's got a red dress with white frillies around it. I I think Steve Ditko, looking at his art, like, he's a great artist. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things he struggled with a little bit was trying to make interesting women's fashion that didn't look crazy. Well, I feel like... like... Go ahead. No, no that, that was it. I think I think all of his fashions are, yeah, weird. I mean, like Flash Thompson's wearing like a turtleneck and purple pants. You know, Peter Parker, I don't even know what he's dressed like. J. Jonah Jameson's suits are crazy. I just, I wonder if it's the era of clothing. Now... I'm going to go weird for a second here in this third panel okay. where you see um, J. Jonah Jameson's back against the wall. Yes. Can you see his dick? It sure looks like it. I mean. <laughs> the way the his pants are drawn with very careful shading and like creases. And there's just like a like... blank spot in the middle, <laughs> like a different color. It, it looks like his pants are tinted. It looks like, I don't know exactly what's happening here. Like, the fly of his pants are missing. Yeah, because in the next panel, there's, like, a fly. And so it kind of makes sense. It's almost like maybe that was a detail that got left out. And then you're like, it was like oh, my God. They were trying to, Steve Ditko was trying to avoid drawing attention to J. Jonah Jameson's dick. And then he wound up 
making it look like J. Jonah Jameson has a fear <laughs> erection going on. Or maybe it did have the fly in there and it really looked like a dick. Like, and they were like, you can't draw this in here. This looks like the outline of his dick. Because <laughs> it's, it's there like in if the you... previous and following panel, his fly is drawn in. But in that right. one, it almost just looks like it was erased. The editor had to, like, there's like a little <laughs> note, like there's a circle and a note with it that just said, no. Yeah, and just like, we do not draw dicks in Marvel Comics. <laughs> If you take out the Scorpion's thought bubble, it becomes slash fic almost immediately. I just don't. Let's see. What are you doing here? What do you want? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's all you have to do. (laughs) Yeah. What are you doing here? What do you want? Scorpion says, can't you guess? (laughs) And J. Jonah Jameson has a massive fear bubble. So I mean, (laughs) yeah, boy, boy. (laughs) Spider-Man jumps in to interrupt this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like a tease. Oh, when are they going to get together without that menace Spider-Man interrupting them? <laughs> their passion? Spider-Man cock blocker. So then they fight again. And this time mm-hmm. Spider-Man basically beats the shit out of him just because. This is, yeah, this feels a lot like Spider-Man. Does, like Spider-Man seems to beat a villain by having a sort of science trick at times. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I, I think of like Venom with, uh, Venom with sound or like, you know, the radioactive man like knocks him into a bunch of coal. So that way it's carbon and neutralizes it. Like yeah. Spider-Man like outwits some somebody. Yes. Well, yeah, he comes up with some kind of Sandman is probably like a famous one for that. Right. It's like, what's the enemy of sand? You know, a vacuum mm-hmm. or like a water or some shit. He thinks about it like you think about like a Mega Man weapon, right? It's like, well, what counters this? Yeah. And then so. But this um, time he just rips off the scorpion's tail and then beats the shit out of him. (laughs) I mean, I think part of what he does is a little more subtle where it's sort of basically saying, like, I'm not going to try to, like, outmuscle you. Uh I'm going to try to, like, use my agility. Sure. Right. You know, like the spider can win because it's more it's not stronger or tankier. It's more maneuverable. Right. So instead of like standing and taking punches, he's going to like dodge. Yes. And I guess he's not so outmatched that like, you know, there's a part where basically the scorpion grabs Spider-Man and Spider-Man twists around and punches him and whatever. So it doesn't work for him to grab Spider-Man by the wrist. It's sort of the opposite of Sin City when the guy, what's his name, Marv, handcuffs himself to that, you know, agility guy. Because he's basically like, I know I can beat the shit out of this guy if I can catch him. (laughs) So it's like, as long as they're tied together, he can win. But that's where Spider-Man is like, if I tie this guy down. Yeah. Right. And then basically try to dodge and and dodge and be flexible instead of um, just, you know, boxing him straight on. Yeah. He can win. But it does seem a little bit like he just... It's like the Superman cartoon, that sort of WBDC Superman cartoon where Superman seems to just forget that he's super strong until he doesn't. Yeah, until he needs to be. Or mm-hmm. the uh, Superman Returns movie where it's like, well, he gets beat up by Cal Penn on an island full of kryptonite until he's like, wait a minute, fuck that. And he like throws it into space. <laughs> <laughs> what did I what should I do? Oh, I'll just be super strong. Yeah. If only I was super strong. And I couldn't get beat up by Cal Penn, an average mm-hmm. man. So anyway, Spider-Man beats the shit out of him. 
Jameson has his private moment where he's like, my secret is safe for now, but what supreme irony. I was saved from a menace whom I myself helped to create, saved by the one he was created to destroy. (laughs) And you're like, thanks for summoning it up for everyone who wasn't paying attention. This is the kind of that is also the kind of thing in a more contemporary comic. They wouldn't fill in all those blanks and like expect the reader to just figure that out. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's plenty of clues along the way. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's plenty of they they would have just shown him looking like thoughtful and regretful instead of (laughs) saying like, wow, I really fucked up. And how ironic, I was saved by the very person I was trying to destroy. And you're like, "Eh, I think I got it. We could have cut before that. (laughs) Maybe there's sort of some weird Marvel deal where, like, Steve Ditko was paid by, you know, like, he had to pay for his own colors. Stan Lee was paid by the word. Yeah. Oh, it seems like it. It seems like they got paid by the word up until the 80s or something like that. Because holy shit. So then Peter Um, Parker goes back to school. And he's like, I guess that's where his clothes were. So he changes back into his Peter Parker clothes, but he's all, he got his ass kicked. And so then Flash Thompson's giving him shit and he's like, all right, Flash Thompson, let's fucking fight. And Flash is like, I'm not going to fight you when you're already all fucked up. Like, then I'll beat you. And, uh, you know, but you'll just say, ah, I was already beat up. So that's why I lost. And you're like, you know, eh, okay. I mean, weird that, you know, I don't know. It's it always... seems like this was, they had to fill out, not, they had to fill out, like they had nine panels on this page, they need to fill an extra three. Yes. Um, yeah, and then there's Aunt May, you know, helping him with his bruises or whatever. And then uh, the ending is, of course, the Daily Bugle, and it's like, Scorpion caught, Jameson is hero. And these guys reading the paper are like, wow, that Jameson's a real fireball. Looks like uh, Spider-Man showed up, but the action was already over. <laughs> and you're like, ah, once again, Jameson learns nothing. <laughs> In some ways, like Jameson got his ass pulled out of a you know a bad situation by Spider-Man. He yeah, le- yeah, you're right. He learned nothing. Yes. Like he saw the evidence. If there's almost a 2020 moment of Jerry Jonah Jameson, is he saw the evidence in front of him and decided, I don't really believe this. Yeah. Here's here's the uh, the more modern version, maybe the more thoughtful version. You know, you see this headline and whatever, and someone who works at the Bugle is like, wow, I didn't know you had it in you. And he's like, yeah, well, yeah, whatever. And then they leave, and he's there alone for the night just looking out the window, knowing he's a fraud. Right. And that that's how you do it, instead of, you know, whatever. This is sort of in an era of, like, resetting things to a status quo. Yes. Right. Like J. Jonah Jameson has to like not learn anything, so that way the next time J. Jonah Jameson shows up, yep. like he's still thinking Spider Man's a menace. Exactly. And then you know it ends with J. Jonah Jameson being like, "I'll get that Spider Man," and Spider Man sewing up his costume, and then we're basically back to status quo. Oh, in this one, he is a high school student. Oh, is he? Yeah. But whom we know as a high school student who wishes he could be ask someone else to perform the boring task of sewing up his torn costume. Oh, okay. He's, I so think at this he's point, pretty close he's, to graduation. He's still in high school. Yeah. I think it was only the first few years, maybe, of comics. Okay, so then there was a letter here you wanted to get to. 
Oh, it was basically somebody, there was a fan, right? Because in the spider's web thing that they responded to who was asking for a pen pal, but he was in Tanganyika, East Africa. Okay. And he was looking for, he was just a kid like who read, was reading Spider-Man comics and was looking for pen pals. <laughs> you know, and they were mostly like, um, and, and I like that Stan Lee decided to give him a nickname of Emmy. Where where is this? This is in Spider's Web, uh-huh. right? So it's in the letter section. It's the second letter. Okay. Oh, okay. Dear Stan and Steve, I am pleased with your latest issues of Spider-Man. By the way, why don't you keep a column for pen friends? If you do, please re- write my name and address and also my hobbies, which are collecting stamps, reading, and dancing. My age is 13. Please find me about five to eight pen friends in America. And his name is Im. I don't know how to say this name. I'm going to go with Imitaz. Yeah. Im- Imtiaz. Aladina. Aladina. P.O. Box, and he's in East Africa. Stan says, Imi, mm-hmm. old buddy, we don't usually list pen pals as names. If we did, we'd have room for almost nothing else. But when we get a request from someone as far away as Tanganyika, we've just got to print that letter. We're delighted that Spidey has readers in East Africa, and if he ever wants to go someplace for an exotic vacation, who knows? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm trying to figure out where Tanganyika actually is. I've never heard that before. Um, Tanganyika still exists. Where or, is it? No, it doesn't. Um, oh, no, it doesn't. It's, it's part of present-day Tanzania. Oh, okay. Okay. It existed between from 1961 until 1964. Oh. Okay. Um. It sort of joined up with some other places, and there's a like a lot of places got like a complicated history. Okay. Um, Hopefully, a little what do they call him? Any? Hopefully, it, you know, survived. it doesn't look like there's Imi. a lot. Yeah, it doesn't look like there's a you know the Wikipedia article is pretty short, but at least it doesn't have like a whole bunch of horrible atrocities. That's in. what I was expecting when you're like, and it was about two years it was around, and then I was like, oh god, and then who swept in and killed what? Um, it looks kind of like they just kind of had a became a republic of the Commonwealth, Tanganyika, Union of Zanzibar and Tanganyika, interim constitution, blah blah blah. Basically, like a, some some countries joined together. Oh, okay. So I mean, it doesn't sound. I'm not gonna, you know, I don't know a ton about it, but it doesn't sound like there's an obvious like atrocity involved here. So, thank goodness. Well, if if Emmy's out there and listening. You know, shoot me an email. Let me know that you're still alive. Let me know if you got your demanded, what was it, like five to eight pen pals? <laughs> yeah. That was where it took a turn for me where I was like, oh, now this fucker is demanding a certain number of pen pals? I think if you're doing pen pals, right, you know that pen pals are going to like bail out on you. Yeah. You know? So if you're trying to get pen pals, like you need like a certain number to sort of keep this hobby going i guess i just i i like that stan was basically like "Eh, that's not really what we do but i'm just gonna print your letter because it's kind of adorable i think it's also like if you're in east africa and you're getting a marvel comic you're like that's from pretty far away so um also at this time too like where 
you know, sending the letter was probably not cheap either. <laughs> probably it was like seven months ago he sent it. Mm-hmm. And then it finally arrived, and then they finally opened it. And they were like, holy shit. Maybe, maybe also Stan was like, how the hell are Spider-Man comics getting to there? I don't understand. I mean, you know, they, they probably send them through the mail, but I, yeah, I mean, that's also the thing is like, if someone got the comic way, you know, out in what is now Tanzania <laughs> at this point in history, like that, you know, it seems kind of like Stan Lee and the publishers could be like, yeah, we'll, we'll publish yours. Well, you know, also, I guess uh, for me personally, 13 years old, that's a little young to be corresponding with a person who says they're 13. I'm like, eh, you know what? I'm going to pass. Let's go ahead and pass on that. Even though it's a probably fairly safe situation, considering it's like, look, I'm not going to Tanzania anytime soon. Right. You know, sending letters to 13 year olds is just not on the on the menu for me. I mean, I think this was also in a time where most of these comics were also like bought by people who were like, you know, sort of 10 to like 15 or 16. Yeah, probably. So they were they were assuming like not a lot of adults were reading this. So, yeah. Yeah, I just I like to imagine that letter appearing today and they're like, oh, no, (laughs) no, no, no. (laughs) It's one of those that. They're like, look, if we let you put in J. Jonah Jameson's dick, we're not going to publish this letter. Yeah, it's one or the other. You can have an outline of a dick, and this can be a kind of an adult thing, or we're going to publish a letter from a 13-year-old special boy. But not both. <laughs> um, but, you know, it also goes to the Marvel Masterwork pinup, which was something... It looks like they just sort of have like the idea of you're going to tear out this page of the comic, which every collector probably hates. Oh, yeah. Well, they did a lot of shit like that in these older comics. They'd have like a pinup poster or they would have, you know, stamps, shit like Mm -hmm. that in them, which I think this was before because, you know, something everyone needs to understand about old comics is like when these were coming out at the time, they were not no one thought this was going to be worth money. Later, it would be like a bunch of old time magazines being worth a bunch of money. It's it's part of why, you know, the Scorpion had two colors, because like anytime you have a new color in a comic, they're like, mm, it's going to cost money. Yeah. Well, these. Yeah, they were pretty cheap to ship and make and all that stuff. So you could, you know, make some money off of them. But there was no like. There, there wasn't like a huge market for super special comics at this point. Like looking at some of the sort of quality of the reprint that was put under the CD-ROM, right? Which maybe Marvel didn't care about it very much. Yeah. But like there's some parts where it looks like a little smudgy, a little thing. Like I'm not complaining for, you know, I wouldn't be complaining for like a a CD-ROM full of these older comics. Yeah. But it's kind of clear that like if this was the, these were the versions that Marvel had with some weird colors in them. Right. Um, it seems like they didn't really care that much about the highest quality printing. Right. Like some of the pay- panels do kind of look like they're almost like a 3d, you know, like a 3d movie. Right. So. Yeah. And I mean, there, you know, there were like things that sort of said, Oh, this is a collector's item or whatever. But I mean, the comics bubble was so much later in history. And like, I think people 
people hoped they would be worth money, but you know, this was this was back in the day when it's like, I mean, are you even going to have your comics bagged and boarded? Like probably not. You're probably this buying them at the drugstore. This is back in the day where comics were basically like newspapers on the idea that you would read the issue and you would basically like throw it out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. It was like a disposable entertainment. I mean, how much is a, you know, a newspaper from the 1960s worth? Probably nothing. Well, it's like you would pick it up and you would toss the coin to the newspaper, the guy at the newspaper stand. um, And then you would read it. And then basically it was gone the next day. Yeah, a bum would use it to clean your windshield off on your car. Like <laughs> that's that's the value of a newspaper. Um, well, but, I think. Oh, go ahead. I was like, yeah, I think I think we did it. You I think know? we we mastered. We got issue twenty out of there. So now we I can move on to the to... fun of issue twenty one. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts about the Scorpion or Amazing Spider Man issue twenty? Oh, maybe a question because you've been reading through more of these. Like, where would you put the scorpion in the pantheon of the villains that have been introduced so far? Uh, well, let's see. I mean, we've got Doctor Octopus. Um, hmm. Trying to remember who we've got so far. We've had, I think, Doctor Octopus. I believe we've had the Vulture. I think we've had the Sandman. I think we had the lizard. Um, pretty low. <laughs> I think I, I I can't remember all the exact order of what we've done so far on this podcast, but you know, the early villains also include like Green Goblin, Mysterio, um, maybe uh Electro. I think like those were all like when I think about like the Green Goblin or Mysterio, those were villains that became more interesting, like sort of in later drafts, like they weren't that great to start out, but they became more interesting later. Yeah. I think um, Mysterio was kind of fun. I always thought he was, he was different. Um, oh, and Chameleon, that's fairly early. But, you know, the ones of the early ones, I mean, Dr. Octopus, I think, probably became his ultimate. Green Goblin was intended to be his like number one nemesis but i think dr octopus really ended up being that um but i don't know i i'm a i'm a fan of the sandman i know that not everybody's into that but uh i i have a love for some of the b-listers like maybe sandman or the absorbing man or whatever but uh eh, the scorpion doesn't do a lot for me i think his tail looks kind of penisy i think uh you know, basically when you're like, well, he's Spider-Man, but he's got a, a tail. Eh. I think that part of what makes him interesting as a villain is that he is very tied into Spider-Man's life, like Peter Parker's life. Uh-huh. In a way that like some of the other villains, like, you know, version of Sandman's like, I want to rob a bank, you know. Sure. Or like, I'm just going to rob a bank. Whereas like the Scorpion, you know, he becomes obsessed not so much with Spider-Man, but like with getting J. Jonah Jameson, you know? Yeah. And so it's sort of like Spider-Man's put in a moral conundrum of like, it would be easier in some ways if like, he kind of let the scorpion kill J. Jonah Jameson and then capture the scorpion. Like I could wait a little bit. That's you true. Know, and this problem would solve itself. But like Spider-Man knows he has the power to stop the scorpion. So he's going to keep one antagonist a lot. He, 
he keeps two antagonists alive instead of like letting one take care of the other. Sure. Yeah. So it kind of puts Spider-Man into a moral problem. It's a good more. point because the Scorpion at some point isn't as much a Spider-Man villain as he is a villain who also kind of wants to kill J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> and it's sort of in many ways, like his early version of him is it's not so much that the Scorpion is a villain by himself. The Scorpion is just kind of like a living weapon. Right. For J. Jonah Jameson. Like this was J. Jonah Jameson trying to take down Spider-Man through other means. Sure. Yeah, you know, I, so maybe, I think he's more interesting in, in that way, but that doesn't come for a little while. So it's, at, at this point, he's not he's not in my tops. In, in, in a primitive way, though, this is an interesting way that he is sort of like villains teaming up or using each other, which I don't know has happened very much. Like that's going to be come out of Spider-Man mainstay. Sure. You know, villains having like relationships with each other. And this is like two villains or two antagonists that have a relationship. So I think that's actually a strength of this one. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I see where you're coming from. I think it's, so you know, the problem is he's just not compelling looking and he doesn't, his powers aren't fun. So it's just not fun. I mean... Even the vulture is fun to me because he's like an old man. <laughs> it's like, what if your grandpa got a super suit? It's it's sort of like, I think because he has a pretty generic costume and pretty generic powers. You know, there's nothing really that special about him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if probably Stan Lee found a nature book of like scorpions and spiders fighting. Yeah. And like wanted to kind of run with that as an idea. Sure, because he's like, hmm, what's a what's a creature that's in that sort of spider realm? Maybe just went in an exotic pet store and just looked around and was like, scorpion. Well, that's I think that's maybe part of it is like, uh, in real life, I find scorpions, you know, are frightening and intimidating and whatever. But it, you know, it doesn't translate very well to the the print. Like Spider Man doesn't really look like a spider. And, but it, it works in that way because I think being the hero and not looking like a giant spider is to his advantage. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I almost wish it was like a little bit more universal horror direction or something. I think this was in the era, like going back to the cover of where it's got that comics code thing where you couldn't really do that. Yeah. You know, so they had to sort of steer around that. But like. You know, that's where a contemporary era could go. Like, Immortal Hulk, like, leans into that sort of horror direction now. So, like, it's time for... If you're going to reboot Spider-Man, maybe a good reboot would be, like, the horror version. Exactly. Yeah, like, you know... A little... Just scarier. I think just having Mm -hmm. him be more frightening would be nice. But, you know, not a a big thing for me. Yep. So, yeah, he just... He doesn't do a lot for me, but uh, I don't... I don't hate him. I don't dislike him. In some ways, he's forgettable, but I think he's good for making stories. Like, he's a good, he's good for a mix-up, right? Yeah. Of, like, a different target. Sure. You know? Yeah. Like, a sort of different story, different, you know, you can throw different characters in. Agreed. Totally agree. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we've got it. We did it. Thank you for um, guesting on this episode of the Amazing Spider Webcast, I believe it's called. I think it is. <laughs> and uh, 
tune in next time, I guess. We'll be covering issue 21. I will be, maybe, a guest. I don't know. I guess we'll see. We'll see you fuckers in like eight months. <laughs> Whenever you get around to it. <laughs> exactly. All right, we'll see you next time. See you next time. <laughs>